Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio South Australia and Broken Hill. Hello, Brooke Nines with you. Thanks for joining me during the lunch break of the cricket. Just a shorter show today, but plenty still to come. We'll have the weather at 12.30. And also, Coorong fishers are trying to assess the impacts the incoming floodwaters will have on their catch. Now we've got the fresh water pushing up the Coorong from the floods in the Murray. It moved the fish from where they normally sit at this time of year, and so it's very hard to go hunting for fish. We just have to wait and see what, what eventuates. We'll have more on that one very shortly. But first today, earlier this morning, it was announced the State Coordinator, Grant Stevens signed the first emergency management direction in relation to the River Murray flood. The purpose of the direction is to impose restrictions for certain activities in relation to the response and recovery operations to the River Murray flood emergency. The direction now prevents people from entering or remaining on a levee, except if they are responding to an emergency, inspecting, conducting maintenance or repairs. So this direction allows people to enter the river for a permitted purpose, which includes work, access to food, drinking water, medical assistance, emergency relief and supplies, uh, fuel and property um, access as well, uh, attendance on a guided tour by a tour operator and also to reduce risk of life or injury to persons or animals and damage to property and to respond to an emergency. And to ensure that restrictions uh, can be added or relaxed as the flood emergency changes, it's been sectioned into eight zones, uh, which you can read more about online at abc.net.au and we'll keep you up to date without any of those changes as they come through. Now, with the amount of water coming down the River Murray at the moment, you might be second-guessing the drinking quality coming from your taps. However, SA Water is reassuring the public that their treatment plants are performing as expected and the water is safe to drink. Senior Manager of Media Communications and Stakeholder Engagement for SA Water, Joshua Zagayev, says although the water quality is unlikely to worsen, they are preparing for those what-if scenarios. Pleasingly at the moment, uh, there is no impact to drinking water services for any of SA Water's drinking water networks that rely on the River Murray. Uh, And only a very small number of wastewater service interruptions, predominantly in the small town of Manham in some particularly low-lying areas where water um, has affected some of the wastewater network. And we've put in a range of support measures for our customers that are affected in those locations as well. And how exactly are those customers being affected at the moment? So uh, we've got about 100 of our customers in Manham uh, and we're talking about sewerage customers there and they have been temporarily isolated from the local wastewater network and that's because they're on very low-lying riverfront areas. They're on River Lane and Randall Street in Manham Uh, and so uh, whilst they have been um, isolated from the network, it basically means that they can't discharge uh, from their sinks and drains and toilets like they normally would. Now, many of those customers have actually moved out of their properties anyway because they're also disconnected from power or they're actually not accessible or they're actually partially inundated with flood water anyway. Uh, But there are a couple of customers there who can still access and live in their properties and so we've provided them with support such as access to some temporary toilets and shower facilities as well as some other support measures if they want to make small purchases. 
services to make things easier to stay in their home for the time being. So we've heard that Mildura residents have been urged to limit their water usage to avoid water restrictions. Is this something that South Australia may also face? Not at the moment. Um, all of our drinking water systems um, across the state and those drawing from the River Murray are actually operating very well. Uh, we have water treatment plants that draw water out of the river. They then clean, treat and disinfect that water and distribute it through networks to our customers. And those water treatment plants are all designed to cope with a range of different source water challenges. So when the raw water in the river and the quality of that would vary like we've got going on at the moment, uh, but they're all performing as they're expected to and doing really well, so there's no issues at the moment. Um, but having said that, um, we do always plan for potential scenarios, so what if something happened, what if something went wrong, what if one of the treatment plants couldn't cope uh, fully with the water quality challenge there? And so we have urged our customers in the Riverland areas to think about planning for those what-if scenarios even though they're potentially quite unlikely. Um, but one of the small things that people can do just to make sure that they're prepared is to make sure that they've got a supply of drinking water on hand. So we would recommend that people store around about 20 litres of drinking water per person for their household. So that might mean getting a jerry can um, or big containers and filling those with clean, safe drinking water from your taps and just popping them in the pantry or the laundry or somewhere and keeping those on hand just in case. And that means that if one of those very unlikely scenarios does happen where uh, one of our water treatment plants is impacted, it means that you've got some supply on hand and you know you'll be okay for a couple of days while we work out uh, what's going on and what we might do to fix it and offer you any further advice on how we'll support you as well. SA Water Senior Manager of Media Communications and Stakeholder Engagement, Joshua Zagayev, speaking with Demetria Panagiotaris. It's 16 minutes past 12. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio South Australia and Broken Hill. Now, after a bumper year for Coorong mullet, local fishers are trying to assess the impacts that incoming floodwaters will have on their catch. With large amounts of floodwater making its way into the Coorong, it's altering the type of fish they're seeing for this year. Coorong wild seafood owner Tracy Hill says she has started to see some changes, but she can't be sure of the full impact just yet. Now we've got the fresh water pushing up the Coorong from the floods in the Murray. It moved the fish from where they normally sit at this time of year, and so it's very hard to go hunting for fish. We just have to wait and see what, what eventuates. I mean, they're, they're worried about black water events and you know fish kills and things like that, but we haven't seen anything like that at the moment. There's been a couple of uh, reported of fish kills, but nothing of anything major. It's just been localised in a, in a backwater or a small area. And has it been impacting the amount of fish around? Last year was probably one of the best mullet years we've ever had. And we've been fishing for 30 years. So we, we were getting mullet all through the year. It was, it was been a, it's been a great year on mullet. Uh, unfortunately, because of the flows, the mulloway haven't come in the mouth like they normally do um, over summer. So we won't be seeing any mulloway until that flow stops and it doesn't look like it's stopping anytime soon. So it's probably going to be a lean couple of months for fishing especially while the wind is coming up every evening and making it unsafe to go fishing. So coming off a bumper year, are you hopeful 2023 will be the same? Well, there's always uncertainty with wild catch fishing. You can No two years are ever the same. Uh, I remember when the Millennium Drought broke, 
we had about 12 months where we were, you know, not catching a lot of lot of fish. So the fish behave how they behave, and but the ecosystem will flourish. And and we know that this push of fresh water, once everything settles down, will be will have been great for the ecosystem. So you sort of just have to ride it out and and wait for conditions to improve. But we've been, like I said, we've been fishing for over 30 years and, you know, we've we've seen fish stocks come and go over those years and sometimes you have a really good bumper season and sometimes you don't. So the good thing about this fishery being a multi-species fishery is that when usually one species isn't available, another one is. So just before this floodwater came down, the flounder were really increasing in catches and also black brim have recovered with the better management of the water so there are other species out there to catch it's just we're just going to have to wait till these floodwaters subside and then we can see what's out there. You've been doing this you said for 30 years have you ever seen it like it is at the moment? Oh no this this is a once in a lifetime event so that's that's one of the reasons we wanted to make sure we went down and had a look at the Murray Mouth. It, the flow of water going out is absolutely phenomenal. Um, I can see why they're saying that no one should be going close to the mouth in any unpowered craft because even in a good boat with a 150 horsepower motor you can still feel the impact of the current as it was coming through uh, the barrages and, and, and out through the mouth so yeah this this is unprecedented I mean when the drought broke in the millennium drought there was a lot of water come down but nothing like we're seeing at the moment and it's it looks like it's going to keep coming because you've got the Darling now in flood and that water's coming down so this will be going on for months and yeah as well catch fishes. We've seen it all before. We've seen lean times. We've seen fantastic abundant times. And uh, that's one of the reasons we started a tour business was so that we had something that we could do operate if the fishing wasn't quite so good. So, yeah, we've been getting a lot of inquiries on tours. Yeah, I'm sure it'd be a very interesting time to be out in the water. Very interesting. Yes, it's, um, like I said, never, never seen this volume of water come down in my lifetime and possibly never will again. That was Tracy Hill from Coorong Wild Seafood speaking with Elsie Adamo. Let's move away from the uh, floods for just a moment. And a new Queensland fruit fly outbreak has been declared in the Riverland at Monash after larvae was found in homegrown apricots. And the new detection is just outside of the existing Monash North outbreak area and is being called Monash A. It's the 17th outbreak of the pest in the region. And fruit fly larvae has also been detected in homegrown apricots in the existing Renmark West outbreak zone. Chair of Riverland Fruit Fly Committee Jason Size is urging all residents to pick ripe fruit promptly and uh, check for any maggots. He's also encouraging more growers to take up the self-baiting program. The end date for restrictions in all areas is 24th of March. For more information, you can call the Fruit Fly hotline on 1300 010. Get ready to be intrigued in 2023. <laughs> David Wenham meets more iconic Australians in ABC of. Is that you, Art? That looks like my little plump face. There's a complicated <laughs> ghost story in new comedy Limbo. I'm just trying to buy some unicorn undies. Plus, back in time for the corner shop. Welcome to our store. And so much more. Yeah! Strap yourselves in. Looking forward to 2023 on ABC TV and ABC iView. 
Now, a leading sheep meat exporter says Australia's new free trade agreement with India is a great first step, but there's still a long way to go. The FDA came into effect last week and it cut the 30% tariff on imported Aussie lamb and sheep meat to zero. Roger Fletcher, director of export company Fletcher International, told Hannah Joes the agreement was many years in the making and entering the market will take some careful handling. Well, you know, as all markets, we've, we've got to find the platform and get the foundations down for the marketing of it. You know, they're not used to importing frozen meat, so that's one issue. So you've got to have the facilities, you've got to have the um, movements of moving around the country. India is a big country and uh, different parts will have different sorts of product. And um, you said this uh, this free trade agreement has been, you know, many years in the making and you've been uh, somewhat involved. Would you tell us uh, what it's taken to get to this point? Well, it's, it's taken us 10 years to get there. I mean, we've got many Indians coming to Australia and this product's coming here and it's a matter of um, trying to get it back there. And, uh, you know, and Australia's got to understand, you know, nearly 50% of their population is farmers. So they've got to protect, they're looking at protecting their patch. And um, we see sheep meat as an important part for them, but it's going to take time to grow the market. And what is the demand in the market for Australian sheep meat like in India at the moment? Look, till we, till we get going there, we can't say. I mean, you know, you can get all the consultants and everything else, but you've got to have the practical side of doing it. And uh, it'll be little steps and uh, we won't be there just thinking you've got to send containers of meat over there and people are going to take it off the wharf. It's not going to happen that way. And so what kind of export are we talking about? Is it all frozen meat or is there like live trade potential here? Oh, no, no, no. It'll, it'll, it'll be all um, frozen or chilled meat. Chilled meat will go probably to the high end and then we do, we've been doing a little bit of that for the last few years, but the tariffs made it impossible. And, uh, you know, then it's training the people to use frozen meat. So, you know, there's a, there, those sorts of things just don't happen overnight. And uh, have our sheep meat exports to India grown over the last few years, or what is the what is the status? Oh, been? No, no, no. It's been impossible to grow because you know the tariffs really. When you put it all together, it's about thirty five percent, and thirty five percent of the gross price when you get to a country makes it just utterly impossible. So there could not be any growth while we had tariffs like that. Are there any issues you're expecting from a trade with India? Any supply chain issues or any other difficulties down the track? Uh, many difficulties. That's, that's no different to every country we deal with. You know, you think we got it, uh, every country we got, getting it off the wharves, getting it into cold storage, which is not geared for trucking. Now, we're, we're really responsible. My name's on the carton or on the product till the consumer takes it. So if it's not handled in between right, um, we've got a problem. And, and uh, yes, I go take ownership of that. It was going to be a very difficult issue. And, uh, but look, that's the challenges we've done with many countries before. It's not, it's not new to us and, and it's not frightening. It's just a matter of going slowly and not thinking it's just all going to happen. And I mean, anyone who thinks that they're going to go into these new countries and just blast the market up there and send a few containers up, well, they're in for a shock. Director of Fletcher International, Roger Fletcher, speaking to Hannah Joes. Let's stick with uh, with livestock and uh, we'll get the latest from the markets. Tim Delaney from Meat and Livestock Australia has the market results from Naracourt. It was a quiet start for the first weekly cattle market of 2023. The total of 136 was sold at Naracourt. Quality was very good. The average was some excellent dealers offered, along with some good heavy cows and a few lots of grain cattle with cover. Usual buyers' dead tenants price over remained steady, with younger cattle selling dearer due to a lift in the quality. 
few pens are growing. Cattle sold close to unchanged. The cow sold an easier trend. Sale consists of a 69 trade run cattle, 64 cows and three cows for open auction. Dealer heifers to the trade made from 440 to 485 cents. Steer portion sold from 440 to 476 cents. And Vila steers going on to feed made from 435 to 476 cents a kilogram. A few yearling heifer sales made from 430 to 435 cents. And a yearling steer went to a restocker for 416 cents. A couple of grown steers sold made from 422 to 435 cents. Manufactured steers with cover sold from 310 to 334 cents. There's a limited selection of grown heifers that made from 305 to 380 cents, reaching 410 for good quality pen Angus heifers. Heavy beef cows sold from 304 to 336 cents. Lander cows mainly made from 200 to 294. A couple of restockers were actually paying from 150 to 255 cents a kilogram for their cows. Young bull cubs sold from 376 to 406 cents. A few bull-like stags made from 310 to 370 cents a kilogram. Now to the uh, Narracourt sheep and lamb market. Narracourt Ages Yard, a smaller offering of 2,307 lambs, probably some very good to claim. Rigger buys at 10 operator with slightly more demand. Prices varying from a few firm to a few dollars stronger. Cost range from most sales of possibly 740 to 800 cents a kilogram carcass weight. Rest of Zachary's they purchased suitable shorn lands from mostly $4,706 and new season store land from $74,115. Renown lambs during the sale made to $150. Wide trail lands lambs made from $134 to $162. The medium trail weight lands sold from $168 $173. Heavier trail weight lands made from $188 to $194. Well presented at 20 lands, 25 to 26 kilogram carcass weight sold from $194 to $214. There were some heavier weights and sold from $214 up to $237. Hoggets with cover sold from $105 to $130. Sheet numbers came back to $341 and the quality was mixed. Price was mostly cheaper, although some of the lighter sheep sold unchanged. Light sheep made from $48 to $66, with the medium to heavy weight mutton selling from $87 to $120, and a pen of ram sold to $40. This has been Tim Delaney reporting for MLA Narracle. And uh, now we'll go to Tim Delaney again. He's got the results from Mount Gambia today. Mount Gambia just yarded 635 cattle they sold to the regular buying field. Quality for the majority of them was good, with dealers continuing to come forward. There were some heavy cows and well-presented grown steers. Price of the younger cattle sold to increase demand to be 10 to 20 cents dearer. And more in places, grown steers were 10 to 20 cents stronger. Some going on to feeders were dearer. Cows and bulls eased 5 to 20 cents compared to the last sale. Villa heifers to the trade sold from 426 to 458 cents. Steer villas made mostly from 433 to 467, as restockers paid 390 to 460 heifers and 420 to 488 cents a kilogram for villa steers. Yearling heifers to the prices made from 420 to 454 cents, and a few yearling steers sold to 456. Growing steers of lighter weights, ideal for feeders, made mainly from 425 to 460 cents. Heavier steers made from 365 to 440 cents, and grow heifers sold to 402. Heavy cows made from 290 to 326 cents, reaching 334 for a younger cow. Beef bulls made from 280 to 325 cents a kilogram. This has been Tim Delaney reporting for MLA Mount Gambia. Thanks very much, Tim. Tim Delaney from Meat and Livestock Australia. Brooke Neindorf with you today. We'll head back to the cricket very shortly, but first uh, let's make sure we find out what's happening in the weather. We're joined by Vince Rollins, Senior Forecaster at the Bureau of Meteorology. Good afternoon, Vince. Hello, Brooke. What's happening around the state? 
Yeah, not a great deal at the moment. So we've got a little bit of cloud around sort of southern coastal fringes and a bit of a band of cloud up in the far north. But uh, looking at dry conditions uh, across the state today and not really much changing over the next couple of days as far as the weather goes. So, yeah, dry through today, tomorrow and Friday and mostly dry on Saturday apart from the far north um, near the NT border where we could see some showers and thunderstorm activity developing and at the moment yeah weather's been driven by a high pressure system that's uh, extending a, well that's sitting south of perth extending a ridge uh, over the state so we've got south to southeasterly winds uh, they will go um, a bit more easterly over the next couple of days and eventually around to the northeast ahead of a trough that is going to move across the state over the weekend and once that trough moves through we do get another high pressure ridge starting to build uh, south of the state so we'll go back to those southerly winds just bringing some milder temperatures after a pretty hot uh, weekend ahead so yeah not uh, much happening weather-wise but uh, as we head into the sort of longer term, as I mentioned, the risk of some shower and thunderstorm activity over the NT border region on Saturday. On Sunday, that starts to extend a little bit further uh, southwards, just remaining basically north of Cooper Pity, and that's uh, due to ex-tropical cyclone Ellie, which looks like it's going to track over the... Well, reverse its track and head east again uh, across the southern parts of NT, bringing some tropical moisture into the north of our state with that. So we could uh, see some further falls on Sunday, maybe a little bit of thunderstorm activity over the northeast of the state as well. And that continues during Monday before we start to see it ease during Tuesday and Wednesday. So, yeah, potential there for some reasonable falls up through that region, uh, just depending on where the low tracks of it goes a little bit further north it's less likely to see um the sort of higher falls but uh, at the moment there's indications there where we could see some falls getting in that sort of 10 to 30 millimeter range through the sort of saturday sunday monday period uh, with some isolated higher falls so we'll, we'll be watching that one pretty closely because it could have some impacts on the outback roads <coughs> excuse me up through that region but elsewhere across the state uh, remaining dry uh, right through the forecast period but uh, as i mentioned temperatures just uh, gradually rising as we head towards the weekend a pretty hot weekend at first and then uh, milder conditions behind that change and then those milder conditions extending throughout uh, early next week brooks so yeah not a great deal happening across the state um, apart from the far north as we head uh, into the weekend and early next week. But, uh, yeah, looking like a reasonable weekend across most parts of the state temperature-wise, uh, certainly uh, cooling down next week. Thanks very much, Vince. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, heading into to sort of when school goes back, because that's usually when the weather starts to turn, do you know sort of start of February what's, what might be happening? Yeah, it's always tricky this far out, but certainly uh, looking at our climate outlooks, we're uh, basically looking at, you know, near average conditions for uh, for the rest of, of this month into into the beginning of February as far as uh, maximum temperatures go. A little bit uh, higher chances exceeding the, the average for minimum temperatures and rainfall is around uh, average as well. So a few locations are a little bit different, but generally across the state, uh, not uh, not drifting too far away from average conditions uh, at this point in time, according to the latest outlooks. Well, definitely one that we'll keep an eye on. Vince Rollins, thanks so much for your time today. 
Thanks, Brooke. That was Vince Rowland, Senior Forecaster at the Bureau of Meteorology. Let's have a look at the western inlands for tomorrow. The upper west and sunny with some overnight temperatures falling to between 15 and 19 with daytime temperatures reaching the low to mid 30s and lower western sunny and overnight temperatures falling to between 11 and 14 with daytime temperatures reaching the low 30s. Nominations are now open for Farmer of the Year with 10 categories spanning all ages and stages of life on the land. Let's recognise the hard work of our rural leaders, innovators and farming legends and celebrate those in our rural sector who go above and beyond. You can enter yourself or someone you know at farmeroftheyear.com.au Proudly supported by the Condinen Group and ABC Rural. Don't forget to get those nominations in for the Farmer of the Year. They are open uh, now until February and uh, six categories, including Farmer of the Year, Young Farmer of the Year and the Community Leader of the Year. And uh, as I said, nominations are open until February. Just go to Farmer of the Year website and you'll be able to find all the details there. Winners will be announced in June at uh, at Parliament House. So uh, make sure you nominate yourself or somebody know. That's all we've got time for on the Country Hour today. Thanks very much for your company. We'll be heading now back to the SCG for the uh, the cricket this afternoon. Fingers crossed the rain stays away in uh, Sydney. It's looking a little bit ominous, but uh, fingers crossed that uh, it can uh, stay away. So it's Australia playing South Africa. Have a good rest of your Wednesday. I'll be back with you at the same time tomorrow. It's coming up to news time. It's one o'clock. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.